0: GRIMM'S FAIRY-TALES KING THRUSHBEARD There was once a king who had a daughter. She was more beautiful than words can tell, but at the same time so proud and haughty that no man who came to woo her was good enough for her. She turned away, one after another, and even mocked them. One day her father ordered a great feast to be given, and invited to it all marriageable young men from far and near. They were all placed in a row, according to their rank and position. First came kings, and then princes, and then dukes, earls, and barons. The princess was led through the ranks, but she had some fault to find with all of them. One was too stout. "'That barrel,' she said. The next was too tall. Long and lean is no good. The third was too short. Short and stout can't turn about.' THE FOURTH WAS TOO WHITE, THE FIFTH WAS TOO RED, AND THE SIXTH WAS NOT STRAIGHT. SO THERE WAS SOMETHING AGAINST EACH OF THEM, BUT SHE MADE especial FUN OF A GOOD KING WHO STOOD AT THE HEAD OF THE ROW AND WHOSE CHIN WAS A LITTLE HOOKED. WHY, SHE CRIED, HE HAS A CHIN LIKE THE BEAK OF A THRUSH. AFTER THAT HE WAS ALWAYS CALLED KING THRUSHBEARD. When the old king saw that his daughter only made fun of them, and that she despised all the suitors he had assembled, he was very angry. He decided then and there that the first beggar who came to the door would be her husband. A few days afterward, a wandering musician began to sing at the window. When the king heard him, he said, "'Let him be brought in.' The musician came in, dressed in dirty rags, and sang to the king and his daughter—' and then he begged for some coins. The king said, Your song has pleased me so much that I will give you my daughter for your wife. The princess was horror-stricken, but the king said, I have sworn an oath to give you in marriage to the first beggar who came. No entreaties were of any avail. A parson was brought, and she had to marry the musician then and there. When the ceremony was completed, the king said, Now that you are a beggar, woman, you can't stay in my castle any longer. You must go away with your husband. The beggar took her by the hand and led her away on foot. When they came to a big wood, she asked, Ah, who is the lord of this forest so fine? It belongs to King Thrushbeard. It might have been thine. If his queen you had been, ah, sad must I sing. I WOULD I'D ACCEPTED THE LOVE OF A KING. AFTER THAT THEY REACHED A GREAT MEADOW, AND SHE ASKED AGAIN, AH, WHO IS THE LORD OF THESE MEADOWS SO FINE? THEY BELONG TO KING THRUSHBEARD, AND WOULD HAVE BEEN THINE, IF HIS QUEEN YOU HAD BEEN. AH, SAD MUST I SING, I WOULD I'D ACCEPTED THE HAND OF THE KING. THEN THEY PASSED THROUGH A LARGE TOWN, AND AGAIN SHE ASKED, Ah, who is the lord of this city so fine? It belongs to King Thrushbeard, and it might have been thine if his queen you had been. Ah, sad must I sing. I would I'd accepted the heart of the king. It doesn't please me at all. You may be sure, said the musician, that you are always wishing for another husband. Am I not good enough for you? At last they came to a wretched little hovel, and she said, "'Ah, heavens, what's this house so mean and small? "'This wretched little hut's no house at all.' "'The musician answered, "'This is my house and yours, where we are to live together.' "'The door was so low that she had to stoop to get in. "'Where are the servants?' asked the princess. "'Servants, indeed,' answered the beggar. "'Whatever you want to do, you must do it yourself.' Light the fire and put the kettle on to make my supper. I am very tired. But the princess knew nothing about lighting fires or cooking, and to get it done at all the beggar had to do it himself. When they had finished their humble fare, they went to bed. But in the morning the man made her get up very early to do the housework. They lived like this for a few days till they had eaten up all their food. Then the man said, "'Wife?' This won't do. You can't live here without working. You shall make baskets. So he went out and cut some willow twigs and brought them home. She began to weave them, but the hard twigs bruised her tender hands. I see that won't do, said the beggar. You had better spin. Perhaps you can manage that. So she sat down and tried to spin, but the harsh yarn soon cut her delicate fingers and made them bleed now you see said the man what a good for nothing you are i have made i have made a bad bargain of you but i will try to start a trade in earthenware you must sit in the market and offer your goods for sale alas she thought If any of the people from my father's kingdom come and see me sitting in the market-place offering goods for sale, they will scoff at me. But it was no good. She had to obey, unless she meant to die of hunger. All went well the first time. The people willingly bought her wares because she was so handsome, and they paid what she asked them. Some even gave her money, and left her the pots as well. They lived on the gains as long as they lasted, and then the man laid in a new stock of wares. She took her seat in a corner of the market and set out her crockery about her. Suddenly a thoughtless horseman came galloping up and rode right in among the pots, breaking them into a thousands of bits. She began to cry and was so frightened that she did not know what to do. "'Oh, what will become of me?' she cried, "'What will my husband say to me?' "'She ran home and told him her misfortune. "'Who would ever think of sitting at the corner of the market with crockery?' he said. "'Stop that crying. I see you are no manner of use for any decent kind of work. "'I have been to our king's palace and asked if they do not want a kitchen maid, "'and they have promised to try you. "'You will get your meals there at any rate.' So the princess became a kitchen-maid and had to wait upon the cook. She tied a pot onto each of her pockets and in them took home her share of the scraps, leaving, and upon these they lived. It so happened that the marriage of the eldest princess just then took place, and the poor girl went upstairs and stood behind the curtains to peep at all the splendor. When the rooms were lighted up, and she saw the guests streaming in, one more beautiful than the other, the scene grew more and more brilliant, and she thought with a heavy heart of her sad fate. Every now and then the servants would throw her bits from the savory dishes they were carrying away from the feast, and these she put into her pots to take home with her. All at once the king's son came in. He was dressed in silk and velvet, he had a golden chain round his neck. When he saw the beautiful girl standing at the door, he seized her by the hand and asked her to dance. But she shrank and refused, because she saw that it was King Thrushbeard, who had been one of the suitors for her hand, and whom she had scornfully driven away. Her resistance was no use, and he dragged her into the hall. THE string BY WHICH HER POCKETS WERE were SUSPENDED BROKE. DOWN FELL THE POTS, AND THE SOUP AND FOOD SCRAPS SPILLED ALL OVER THE FLOOR. WHEN THE GUESTS SAW IT, THEY BURST INTO SHOUTS OF Mocking LAUGHTER. SHE WAS SO ASHAMED THAT SHE WOULD GLADLY HAVE SUNK INTO THE EARTH. SHE RUSHED TO THE DOOR AND TRIED TO ESCAPE, BUT ON THE STAIRS A MAN STOPPED HER AND BROUGHT HER BACK. When she looked at him, she saw that it was King Thrushbeard again. He spoke kindly to her and said, Do not be afraid. I and the beggar man who lived in the poor little hovel with you are one and the same. For love of you I disguised myself, and I was also the horseman who rode among your pots, and this I did to bend your proud spirit, to punish you for the haughtiness with which you mocked me. She wept bitterly and said, I was very wicked and I'm not worthy to be your wife. But he said, Be happy. Those evil days are over. Now we will celebrate our true wedding. The waiting women came and put fine clothes upon her, and her father with all his court came and wished her joy on her marriage with King Thrushbeard. Then, in truth, her happiness began. The Turnip There were once two brothers, who both served as soldiers. One was rich, and the other was poor. The poor one, wishing better for himself, discarded his uniform, and worked like a peasant. He dug and hoed his little field, and sowed turnip seed. The seed came up, and one of the turnips grew to such an enormous size, that it seemed as though it would never stop growing. It might have been called the queen of turnips, for its like had never been seen before, nor ever would be again. At last it was so big that it filled a cart and needed two oxen to draw it. The peasants could not imagine what would come of it, whether it would bring good luck or bad. At last he had said to himself, if I sell it, what shall I gain? I might eat it, but the little turnip would do as well for that. THE BEST THING WILL BE TO TAKE IT TO THE KING AND OFFER IT TO HIM. SO HE LOADED A CART, HARNESSED TWO OXEN, AND TOOK IT TO THE COURT TO PRESENT IT TO THE KING. WHAT IS THIS EXTRAORDINARY OBJECT? THE KING ASKED. I HAVE SEEN MANY MARVELS IN MY TIME, BUT NEVER ANYTHING SO REMARKABLE AS THIS. WHAT SEED DID SPRING FROM? PERHAPS IT BELONGS TO YOU, ESPECIALLY IF YOU ARE A CHILD OF GOOD LUCK. Oh no, said the peasant, lucky I certainly am not, for I am a poor soldier, who since he could keep himself no longer, hung his uniform on a nail, and now he tills the earth. I have a brother who is rich and well known to you, my lord king, but I, because I have nothing, am forgotten by all the world. Then the king pitied him, and said, Your poverty shall be at an end and you shall receive such rich presents from me, that your wealth will equal that of your brother. Whereupon he gave him plenty of gold, lands, fields, and flocks, and enriched him so much that the other brother's wealth could not be compared with his. Now when the rich brother heard what his brother had received for the single turnip, he envied him, and pondered how he might gain a similar treasure for himself. But he wanted to show himself much cleverer, so he took golden horses and presented them to the king, feeling certain that he would give him a far handsomer gift. For if his brother got so much for a turnip, what would he not be given for beautiful things? The king took the presents, saying that he could give him in return nothing rarer or better than the huge turnip. So the rich brother had to put his brother's turnip into a cart and have it taken home. Then he did not know on whom to expand his wrath and bitterness, till evil thoughts came to him, and he determined to kill his brother. He hired murderers who were to place themselves in ambush, and then he went to his brother and said, "'Dear brother, I know of a secret treasure, which we will carry off and divide.' THE OTHER AGREED, AND WENT WITHOUT SUSPICION, BUT WHEN THEY REACHED THE AMBUSH, THE murderers SPRANG UPON HIM, AND BOUND HIM, AND PREPARED TO HANG HIM ON A TREE. WHILE THEY WERE ABOUT IT, THEY HEARD IN THE DISTANCE THE CLATTER OF HOOFS, AND THE SOUND OF SINGING, WHICH FRIGHTENED THEM SO MUCH, THAT THEY STUCK THEIR PRISONER'S HEAD FOREMOST INTO A SACK, SLUNG IT UP ON A BRANCH, AND RAN AWAY. BUT THE MAN IN THE SACK WORKED A HOLE IN IT and stuck his head out through it. Now the traveler turned out to be a student, a young fellow who was riding through the wood, singing cheerily. When the man up in the sack saw someone down below, he called out, Good day! You have come in the nick of time. The student looked all around, but could not make out where the voice came from. At last he said, Who calls? A voice from above answered, Raise your eyes i am sitting up here in the sack of wisdom and in a short time i have learned so much that the wisdom of the schools is as air compared to mine soon i shall be quite perfect and shall come down and be the wisest of all mankind i understand the stars and the signs of the heavens the blowing of the wind the sand of the sea the healing of the sickness and the power of herbs birds and stones If you were once inside, you would feel what wonders flow from the sack of knowledge. When the student heard this, he was astonished and said, If only I, too, might get into the sack for a short time. The other answered as though unwillingly, I will let you in for a little while for payment and kind words, but you must wait an hour as there is something rather difficult which I must learn first. But when the student had waited a little, he grew impatient, and begged to get in. So great was his thirst for knowledge. Then the man in the sack pretended to give in, and said, In order that I may get out of the sack, you must let it down. Then you can get in. So the student let down, and undid the sack, and released the prisoner, and said, Now, Pull me up as fast as possible. And he tried to get into the sack, and stand upright in it. Stop, said the other. That won't do. And he packed him in a head first, tied them up, and slung up the student, dangling him in the air. Then he said, How are you, my dear fellow? You will soon feel wisdom coming upon you, and will have a most interesting experience. Sit still, till you are wiser.' Whereupon he mounted the student's horse and rode off, but sent someone in an hour to let him down again. THE FOUR ACCOMPLISHED BROTHERS There was once a poor man who had four sons. When they were grown up, he told them that they must now make their own way in the world. "'I have nothing to give you,' he said, "'and so you must each go out among strangers and learn a trade.' THE FOUR BROTHERS THEN bade THEIR FATHER GOOD-BYE, AND WENT AWAY TOGETHER. AFTER THEY HAD TRAVELED SOME DISTANCE, THEY CAME TO A POINT WHERE FOUR CROSSROADS MET. HERE WE MUST PART, SAID THE ELDEST BROTHER. IN FOUR YEARS WE WILL MEET AGAIN IN THIS PLACE. MEANTIME, WE MUST SEEK OUR FORTUNES. EACH BROTHER WENT HIS WAY. THE ELDEST BROTHER SOON MET A MAN WHO ASKED HIS BUSINESS AND WHERE HE WAS BOUND. I wish to learn a trade, he replied. Then come with me, said the man, and become a thief. No, replied the other, this is not an honorable trade. Besides, the end of it is that one has to be punished. Oh, you need not fear that, said the thief. I will teach you so that no one shall ever be able to catch you or find any trace of you. Then the man let himself be persuaded and became such an accomplished thief that nothing was safe, which he set his mind on having. Meanwhile, the second brother had met a man who asked him the very same question. I do not know yet, he answered. Then come with me and become a stargazer, said the man. There is nothing better than that, for nothing is hidden from you. He went with him, and became so skillful a stargazer, that when he was about to part from his master, the latter gave him a telescope, and said, With this you can see all that occurs on earth and in heavens, and nothing can remain hidden from you. The third brother was taken in hand by a huntsman, and received such excellent instructions in all branches of huntsmanship, that he became a famous huntsman. On leaving, his master presented him with a gun, which he said would never miss, for whatever he aimed at, it was sure to hit. The youngest brother had meanwhile met a tailor, and was asked if he would not like that trade. "'I am not sure about that,' he answered. "'I'm not sure I would like to sit cross-legged from morning till night, or to stitch backwards and forwards, and all the live-long day.' "'Oh!' cried the man, "'you are talking about what you do not understand. "'With me you will learn a different kind of tailoring, "'which is honorable in its way, besides being easy.' "'So he let the man persuade him, "'and they went on together, "'and he learned the tailoring art from its beginning. "'When they parted, his master gave him a needle and said, "'With this you can sew together anything.' "'whether it is as tender as an eggshell or as hard as steel, "'not even a seam will be visible to anyone afterwards. "'When the years passed, the four brothers arrived at the same time at the crossroad "'and embraced each other, returned home to their father. "'He was pleased and cried out, "'Ah, so the wind has blown you back again!' and whereupon they related all their adventures, and said they had each learned a trade. While they were telling their tales, they sat under a great tree, and as soon as they had done so, their father said he would now put their accomplishments to the test. He looked up, and then said to his second son, At the top of this tree, between two branches, is a finch nest. Now tell me how many eggs there are in it. THE stargazer TOOK HIS GLASS AND LOOKED THROUGH IT. THERE ARE FIVE EGGS. FETCH THE EGGS DOWN WITHOUT DISTURBING THE MOTHER BIRD WHO IS SITTING ON THE EGGS. THE FATHER THEN SAID TO HIS ELDEST SON, THE THIEF AT ONCE CLIMBED UP THE TREE AND TOOK THE FIVE EGGS FROM UNDERNEATH THE BIRD WITHOUT DISTURBING OR FRIGHTENING HER AND BROUGHT THEM TO HIS FATHER. THE FATHER THEN LAID ONE AT EACH CORNER OF A TABLE. "'placed the fifth in the middle, and said to the huntsman, "'Now, with one shot, you shall cut them all in half.' "'He aimed, and at the first trial shot, "'the five eggs, as his father had wished. "'Now it is your turn,' said the father to his other son. "'You shall sew the eggshells together, "'and also the young bird which were in them, "'so that the shot shall not have left any damage or injury. The tailor drew out his needle and soon did what he had wished him, and when he was finished the thief had to carry the eggs back into the nest and lay them again under the bird without her being aware of it. He did this, and the bird finished hatching their eggs a few days afterwards. When the young bird crept out, They had red streak around their neck, where the tailor had sewn them together. When his son had done all these things, the father said to them, Well, you have certainly used your time well, and learned what is very useful. I cannot tell now which of you deserves the most praise. That must be left to the next opportunity. Not long afterwards a great sorrow was felt in the land, because the king's daughter had been carried away by a dragon. Her father was grief-stricken. He immediately caused it to be proclaimed far and wide that whoever rescued the princess might have her for a wife. The four brothers said, "'This is the opportunity we have awaited,' and they agreed to go forth together and save the princess." I will soon discover where she is, said the stargazer. Then, peeping through his telescope, he said, I see her already. She is on a rock in the middle of the sea far away from here, and a dragon is guarding her. Then he went to the king and asked for a ship, for himself and his brothers, and they sailed over the sea till they came to the rock. The princess saw them coming, but the dragon was fast asleep with his head in her lap. I DARE NOT SHOOT, SAID THE HUNTER, FOR I MIGHT THEN KILL THE PRINCESS AS WELL AS THE DRAGON. THEN I WILL TRY MY ART, SAID THE THIEF, AND HE CREPT NEAR AND STOLE THE PRINCESS AWAY FROM THE DRAGON, BUT SO QUIETLY AND CLEVERLY THAT THE MONSTER NOTICED NOTHING AND SLEPT ON. FULL OF JOY THEY HURRIED WITH HER INTO THE SHIP, BUT THE DRAGON SOON AWOKE, MISSED THE PRINCESS, AND CAME FLYING THROUGH THE AIR IN A RAGE IN PURSUIT OF HER. Just as he was hovering above the ship and was about to alight, the huntsman took aim, fired, and shot him through the heart. The dragon fell, but in, in his fall he crushed the whole ship to pieces because of his great size and weight. Fortunately, however, they saved a couple of planks, and on these the four brothers and the princess swam about in the sea until the tailor, with his wonderful needle, SEWED TOGETHER THE TWO PLANKS WITH GREAT STITCHES, AND THEN SELECTED THE REMAINING PIECES OF THE SHIP. THESE HE SEWED TOGETHER SO CLEVERLY, THAT IN A SHORT TIME THE WHOLE VESSEL WAS AS TIGHT AND COMPLETE AS BEFORE, AND THEY SAILED HOME IN SAFETY. AS SOON AS THE KING SAW HIS DAUGHTER, AGAIN HE WAS VERY GLAD, AND SAID TO THE FOUR BROTHERS, ONE OF YOU MAY HAVE MY DAUGHTER AS HIS WIFE, But you must settle among yourselves which one it is to be. Whereupon a great quarrel took place, the stargazer said, If I had not seen the princess, your other arts would have been of no use. Therefore she is mine. But the thief said, Of what use would your seeing have been if I had not stolen away the the princess from the dragon? The princess is mine. The huntsman said, But you would have all been torn to pieces by the dragon, had not my bullet reached its heart, and so she must be mine. The tailor said, If it had not been for my sewing the ship together, you would have all been drowned. No, the princess is mine. Then the king settled the quarrel by saying, You have all an equal claim. But since you cannot all have the princess, not one of you shall have her. Instead, I will give each of you part of my kingdom as a reward. This decision pleased the brothers who said, Yes, it will be well, and better so for when we shall remain united. Therefore, each of them received part of the kingdom, and they lived happily together with their father. THE SINGING BONE There was once upon a time in a certain country a wild boar that destroyed farmers' fields, killed cattle, and did a great amount of damage with his tusks. In desperation the king proclaimed that a large reward would be given to anyone who would free the land from this plague. However, the beast was so big and strong that no one would dare risk his life by going near the forest in which it lived. At last the king gave notice that that the man who might capture or kill the wild boar would be given the hand of his only daughter, the princess, in marriage. Two brothers who lived in the country, sons of a poor man, declared themselves willing to the challenge, the wild boar. The older brother was crafty, proud, and shrewd, while the younger one was innocent, simple, and kind. On the day set for the hunt, the king said to the brothers, you must go into the forest from opposite sides. In that way, you may be more sure of finding the beast. The elder brother, whereupon, went into the forest on the west side, and the younger brother entered from the east. When the younger brother had gone a short way, a little man holding a black spear came forth and announced, Take this spear. It is given to you as a gift, because your heart is pure and good. With it you can boldly attack the wild boar, and it will do you no harm. Thus saying, he handed over the spear. Before proceeding much farther, the younger brother saw the beast, which charged at him in a mad rush. He held the spear in front of him, and the boar, in its blind fury, ran so swiftly against it that it was killed in an instant. Taking the monster on his back, the younger brother made his way back through the forest. As he came out of the woods, he saw an inn. The sounds of music and laughter came from it. The elder brother had gone into the inn to make merry, thinking that after all the boar would not run away, and that it could wait. But when he saw his younger brother coming out of the wood with his prize on his back, his evil heart gave him no peace. He called out to him, Come in, dear brother, rest and refresh yourself. The youth, who suspected no evil, went in and told him about the good little man, who had given him the spear with which he had slain the boar. The older brother kept him there until evening, and then they went away together. When in darkness they came to a bridge over a brook, the elder brother let the other go first, and halfway across he struck the younger brother with a blow from behind, killing him. He buried him beneath the bridge, took the boar, and carried to the king, pretending that he had killed it. He then obtained the king's daughter in marriage, and when his younger brother did not come back, he said, The boar must have killed him before I came upon the boar myself, and everyone believed him. Years afterward, a shepherd was driving his herd across the bridge, and he saw laying in the sand beneath a snow-white little bone. He thought that it would make a good mouthpiece for his horn. So he climbed down, picked it up, and cut it out. When he blew through it for the first time, he was astonished to hear the bone begin to sing of its own accord. "'You blow upon my bone, my friend,' Long have I lain beside the water, my brother killed me, not the boar, and married the king's young daughter. What a wonderful horn! exclaimed the shepherd. It sings by itself. I must take it to the king at once. And when he came with it to the king, the horn again began to sing its little song. The king understood it all, and then ordered the ground below the bridge to be dug up. AND SO THE EVIL DEED CAME TO LIGHT. THE WICKED BROTHER COULD NOT DENY THE DEED. THEREUPON WAS DULY PUNISHED FOR IT. THE THREE FEATHERS THERE WAS ONCE A KING WHO HAD THREE SONS, TWO OF WHOM WERE WISE AND CLEVER. BUT THE THIRD WAS SO SIMPLE, PEOPLE GAVE HIM THE NAME OF SIMPLETON. WHEN THE KING BECAME OLD AND THOUGHT THAT HIS END WAS NEAR, HE WAS AT A LOSS TO KNOW TO WHOM HE SHOULD LEAVE HIS KINGDOM. SO HE SAID TO HIS SONS ONE DAY, GO OUT INTO THE WORLD, AND THE ONE WHO BRINGS BACK THE MOST BEAUTIFUL CARPET SHALL BE KING ON MY DEATH. AND SO THERE MIGHT BE NO DISPUTE AMONG THEM, HE LED THEM TO THE GATE, AND BLOWING THREE FEATHERS INTO THE AIR, SAID, YOU SHALL GO AS THESE FLY. ONE FEATHER FLEW TO THE EAST, ONE TO THE WEST, AND THE THIRD WENT UP IN THE AIR, AND SOON FELL BACK TO THE GROUND. One of the brothers went to the right, and one to the left, while Simpleton was forced to stay there. He sat down, feeling very sad, but as he looked around, he saw a trap-door near where the the feather lay. He raised it, and finding steps, went down them. At the foot of the stairs he came to another door, at which he knocked. The door opened— The simpleton saw a large frog seated on a throne surrounded by many little frogs. What would you like? The large frog asked. I would like to have the finest, most beautiful carpet that ever was made, was the reply. She called one of the young ones and said, Hop about now and bring me the bag. The young frog brought the bag. The old one opened it and took out a carpet more beautiful than any that had ever been seen on earth, and gave it to Simpleton. This was just what he wanted. He thanked her and went up the steps. The two others, thinking that their brother was too silly to find a carpet, said each to himself, I need not take any pains about the carpet. My brother and I will inherit the kingdom. They both took only some coarse shawls. They all returned at the same time, and when they saw the fine beautiful carpet that Simpleton had brought to the king, they were greatly astonished. If justice is done, said the king, my youngest boy deserves the kingdom. But the two others would not listen to this decision, and gave their father no peace, saying it would be impossible for Simpleton to rule the kingdom. He did not know enough to be king, and they begged that another trial be given them. He consented and said, Whoever brings me the most beautiful ring shall inherit the kingdom. Once more he led them out of the castle and blew three feathers into the air to indicate the direction in which they were to go. The two eldest went east and west, while Simpleton's feather fell near the trap-door. He descended the stairs and went again to the large frog "'asked her for a beautiful ring. "'She ordered the bag brought directly to her "'and took from it a ring glittering with precious stones. "'The two brothers laughed at the thought of Simpleton finding a ring "'and went to no trouble. "'They merely took an old wagon ring, which they found, "'and brought that to the king. "'When Simpleton showed his ring, the king said a second time, "'The kingdom belongs to him.' BUT THE TWO OLDER BROTHERS TORMENTED THE KING UNTIL HE MADE A THIRD CONDITION, WHICH WAS THAT WHOEVER BROUGHT HOME THE MOST BEAUTIFUL MAIDEN SHOULD HAVE THE KINGDOM. A THIRD TIME WERE THE FEATHERS BLOWN, AND THEY FLEW AS BEFORE. WITHOUT HESITATION, SIMBLETON WENT TO THE FROG AND SAID, I WOULD LIKE TO TAKE HOME A BEAUTIFUL MAIDEN. A BEAUTIFUL MAIDEN? SAID THE FROG. AT PRESENT SHE IS NOT HERE but she soon will be. She gave him a hollow carrot, before which six mice were harnessed. What shall I do with this? asked Simpleton. But put one of my little frogs in it, was the answer. He seized one at random, and placed it in the yellow carrot, but scarcely was it seated. WHEN A GREAT CHANGE TOOK PLACE, THE FROG WAS CHANGED INTO A BEAUTIFUL MAIDEN, THE CARROT INTO A COACH, AND THE MICE INTO HORSES. SIMPLETON KISSED THE MAIDEN, AND SEATED HIMSELF BY HER IN THE COACH, AND DROVE AWAY TO THE CASTLE. THE TWO BROTHERS ARRIVED SOON AFTER, BUT THEY HAD NOT LEARNED BY EXPERIENCE. THEY TOOK NO MORE TROUBLE THAN BEFORE, AND EACH HAD BROUGHT HOME THE FIRST PEASANT GIRL HE MET UPON THE ROAD. AS SOON AS THE KING SAW THESE MAIDENS, HE SAID, MY YOUNGEST SON SHALL RECEIVE THE KINGDOM ON MY DEATH. BUT THE TWO ELDER SONS DEAFENED THE KING WITH THEIR CLAMORS. WE WILL NOT CONSENT TO THAT. THEY ASKED THAT THE MAIDENS BE MADE TO JUMP THROUGH A HOOP THAT HUNG IN THE HALL, THINKING ONLY THE PEASANT GIRLS WOULD BE ABLE TO DO THIS, AND THAT THE TENDER MAIDEN WOULD KILL HERSELF. The king, wearied by their grumbling, consented to have it settled in that way. The two peasant girls jumped through the hoops, but they were so clumsy that they fell. The beautiful maiden, however, sprang through as lightly as a deer and landed safely on her feet. It was useless to raise further objections. Simpleton received the crown and ruled the kingdom for many years.